0: You know you're getting old when... How would you finish that sentence? You know you're getting old when... Personally, I can think of a number of ways to finish that sentence off, based, sad to say, on my own personal experience of the last few weeks. For example, you know you're getting old... When you get together with old friends, old buddies from high school, and the primary topic of conversation, at least initially, is what aches and pains you have, which doctors you've seen lately, how many surgeries you've had, and what medication you are currently on. No, you're definitely getting old when that happens. You know you're getting old when your previously carefree friends suddenly become very serious and very philosophical about life and about the meaning of life. That's because they realize they are now closer to the end of life than they are to its beginning. And finally, you know you're getting old when your contemporaries begin to die in greater numbers. Some of them suddenly and unexpectedly. Like my good friend Stephen DeAngelis. Steve passed away a couple of weeks ago after having a massive heart attack. He woke up that morning, realized something was going on, knew he was in trouble, he was in distress, so he called 911 immediately, he was home alone. But by the time the EMTs got there and broke into the house, he was gone, and they were unable to revive him. Steve's death made a powerful impact on a lot of his classmates from Barrington High School, but it really hit home with me. Because not only had we graduated together in 1975, not only had we played sports together when we were little kids, our lives literally had been linked from birth. Our moms knew one another back in 1957. They were both living in Barrington at the time, and they were both admitted to the old lying-in hospital in Providence during the same week of April to deliver their babies. Stephen beat me by a day. He was born on April 17th. I was born on April the 18th, which also happened to be Holy Thursday that year. But that's another story for another homily. Now, two days before Stephen died, I found out that another one of my classmates from high school had passed away from breast cancer in late January of this year. And perhaps that explains some of the very serious conversations I had with old friends at the reception after Stephen's funeral. Now don't get me wrong, these were great conversations, conversations about our mortality, conversations about the ultimate purpose and meaning of life, but they were very different, very, very different from the conversations we have had at past funerals. This time, the reality of death seemed a lot closer. I mention this today because I think it's good for all of us, at least every once in a while, to reflect on death and its meaning, as some of us did at Steve's funeral the other day, and as the family and friends of Lazarus probably did at his funeral 2,000 years ago. As ironic as it might sound, Reflecting on death can actually help us to live life better. It can help us to live life with the proper focus, and we need to live this life with the proper focus. And even more importantly, pondering death and its meaning can help us to be better prepared to face it when it comes. And it will we definitely need to be ready, because sometimes it does come suddenly and unexpectedly, as it did for my friend Stephen the other day. And on that note, whenever we do ponder and discuss death as Catholics, it's essential for us to remember that there are four so-called last things, four final realities, three of which will be experienced by you and by me and by every single human person on this planet. Hopefully most of us know them already. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And please do notice, my brothers and sisters, that there are four of these last things, not two, I say that because there are many people, including, I dare say, many professed Christians, who seem to think that the only last things most people experience are death and heaven. And it's not only lay people who think this way. Even some members of the Catholic clergy, unfortunately, think this way. I was at a funeral the other day in which the priest said explicitly that the deceased is in God's eternal kingdom already. I wanted to ask the priest afterward how he knew that and why he also encouraged the members of the congregation to pray for the deceased. Logically, that didn't make any sense. You see, if somebody is already in heaven, if they have already arrived in God's eternal kingdom, That person does not need our prayers. That person does not need to have masses offered for the repose of his or her soul. They don't need any assistance on the way to the kingdom because they're already in the kingdom. Praying for the dead only makes sense if the dead person is undergoing that final purification on their way to heaven that many souls need, which we call purgatory. Have you ever noticed that we never, ever, ever have a Mass offered for St. Peter, or for St. Paul, or for St. Teresa of Avila, or for St. Catherine of Siena, or for anyone of the canonized saints? We offer Masses in their honor, that's true, on their respective feast days, but we never pray for them either at Mass or outside of Mass. It's because they don't need our prayers. Quite to the contrary, we need them to pray for us because they've already arrived. They are seeing God face to face in his kingdom. And this is no small point, my brothers and sisters. This tendency... To reduce the four last things to two last things is one of the biggest reasons why we have so many problems in the world right now. Because so many men and women do not believe in God's judgment and in the possibility of going to hell. They think they can do whatever they want in this life. They think they can hurt other people, use other people, manipulate other people with no consequences. They think they can live by their own set of rules and end up in God's eternal kingdom when their earthly lives are finished. They don't believe they will be accountable for their actions. And that erroneous belief is reflected in their behavior. Belief in only two last things also can lead to despair in certain cases. Think about it. If there is nothing at stake eternally in the way we live our lives on this earth, if God, almighty God, is going to push us all through the pearly gates of heaven, regardless of how we have lived on this earth, then what's the point of continuing to live this life when things go back? There really isn't any point at all The response of Jesus to Martha in today's Gospel scene from John 11, this response of Jesus Christ implicitly affirms the reality of all four of the last things. Jesus says to her these beautiful and very famous words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The reality of physical death, the first last thing, is affirmed in that section where Jesus says, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, that is to say, physically dies, will live. As for the second last thing, judgment, that's implied if we look at the sentence in its totality. Notice that Jesus makes the distinction in this verse between those who believe in him and those who do not. And here it's extremely important for us to remember that in the New Testament, belief is not simply a head trip. It's not simply a matter of saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's more than that. Biblically speaking, if you really believe in Jesus Christ, you will strive to obey him. Belief implies obedience. Belief and obedience go hand in hand. They are inseparable. So Jesus could have said here, whoever believes in me and obeys me, even if he experiences physical death, will live forever after being judged. He could have said those words, and it would have meant the very same thing. And where will the person who believes in and obeys Jesus live forever? Well, in heaven, of course, which is the third last thing. As for the possibility of the fourth last thing, hell, that's alluded to in the final part of the sentence where Jesus says, And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, the death he's talking about there is not physical death. He talked about that earlier. Rather, it is spiritual death, the death of the soul, what the Bible calls the second death. So the bottom line is this, my brothers and sisters, and I will leave you with this thought this morning. We cannot avoid the first death, the physical kind. No matter how hard we try, we can go to the best doctors, take a lot of pills and vitamins, exercise till we fall on our faces. It's going to happen. It's unavoidable. That's the bad news. However, the good news is, by the power of Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, we can all avoid the second death. And please God, by his saving grace, we all will. Then we'll get to meet some great people, some marvelous people in the eternal kingdom of God, including, hopefully, my good friend, Stephen DeAngelis.